Hey guys, if you really like this episode, please support this podcast by going to talkmurder.com slash join and become a Taco Supremo. On this episode, we are covering part two of the DC sniper attacks from 2002. Going back further in time to uncover how the Trigger Man came to be. Desperate for a father figure, conditioned, even brainwashed, led to the killing of innocent people with the influence of a mastermind. In this case, is the mastermind really the one ultimately responsible? Or is the Trigger Man still a minor worthy of punishment of permanence under law? All right, so um, this is part duh of the DC sniper case. And I uh, posted on Facebook if anyone had any comments they want to throw in there. And of course, uh, Alan said something about my lack of knowledge with guns, so I'm just going to delete that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He just schooled your ass. Uh, Lauren said the worst part of this besides the constant fear is that schools were on continuous lockdown. And even though it was a gort, even though it was gorgeous out, they had recess inside and this went on for days mm. and days and days. Mm. Oh, so, and so far we've only gone until just the first day. That I stinks. See. I wish we had recess. Mm. You know, there, <laughs> studies have shown that, that recess actually, um, in, in physical activity increases student um, performance. So I think that high schools should have recess, but I think you know. there's something to be said for like taking a break mentally, you know, yeah, but, I mean, they have, they have a lunch period where they can kind of just chill and do whatever for, you know, 40 minutes or so, but f- physical activity where, or having like recess, it actually, it, it's, it promotes uh cognitive, something to do with hmm. cognitive performance that makes sense yeah because because exercising like clears your head and stuff like that and it gets the energy out but i mean you have some people might say well you have pe what's what's the difference between that and pe but pe you're performing for a grade you're doing things for a grade for a class that you have to do but when you have recess it's just like time to chill and do whatever you want or play sports however you want um so i think that high schools should look into doing that but what do i know i just i just work here guy says more gin, please. Mm-hmm. Thanks, guy. So there's your cult, Jen. Somebody said Jennies. Yes, yeah, like someone the said groupies. that my groupies were called the Jennies. Which we should make a shirt that says "I am Jenny." Well, my mom, a Jenny my mom calls me Jenny. With a, oh, something no, like wait, that. Jenny yeah. uh, without the Y. It's Jenny like from the, the block. Okay, um, Lauren said uh, Baltimore is much more deadly than Washington, D.C. Also, while Montgomery County has the reputation of being uh, affluent, we have a large... Huh? Affluent. Uh, We have a large population living in poverty. The Aspen Hill area where many of these shootings occurred is not affluent. Anyway, it is also one of the most diverse counties. Man, my eyesight's getting so shitty. I can hardly see this fucking thing. You gotta eat your carrots. Our students speak 130 languages. Holy shit! They what student you know that there's 130 different languages out there? I mean, there are over two. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Who speaks yeah. 130 different languages? Are, are, well, is she saying not, a person oh, speaks? The no, people, oh, like, our people. like yeah, I don't know the, the collective people. Yes. Oh, 
I lived here for 37 years and I can't imagine growing up anywhere else. Well, you haven't been to Charleston because that place sucks compared to Charleston. (laughs) I do want to explore D.C., though. Like, I've been to D.C. a couple of times um, with school groups, but I haven't had time to actually explore and go to the Smithsonian's and and do things like that uh, or like the Postage Museum, you know. I just really the postage I, museum is not the first museum I probably would have called out as intriguing. Uh, but well, I just I said that like because I know museums. it's I know it's there along with the Smithsonian museum. I did not know that there was a thing. Jay, we don't care museum. about that stuff. I Let's do. Move on. We got a lot to do. Um, William says, "Oh, he's just making fun of my diet." Okay, Deanna said, "I lived through it. I was living in Fredericksburg, uh, VA, Virginia mm. at the time." And Lowe says, "Yes, please." It really didn't address the question we were asking. <laughs> but she wants more, I take it. She's rich. I think, uh, I think that was referring to Guy's comment. Oh, no. Yeah. No, it's not. Whatever, Jen. If someone else says something, too. Is this all the comments? I think someone said something in a separate post. Are they filtered as most uh, relevant or all comments? You have to check that because mine filters. I usually back filter and forth. them as um, things that talk about me and how great I am. That's that's a uh, a filter mechanism. Oh, so. how do I get Mark Zuckerberg to make me my own com- <laughs> uh, comment filter? All right, so um, we're picking up where we left off. Uh, you guys probably don't even remember what story we were talking we're about. We're talking about the DC snipers. All right, so tell me what you guys remember about last week, which is probably nothing. There are two people involved. They drive well. They were driving a blue Caprice, but people thought it was a white Isuzu box truck. Caprice Sun? No, it was a blue car. Um, and what year was it? Um, nineteen eighty-seven. Oh, that was close. Nineteen eighty-four. Nope. 19- it is. Uh, it's nineteen ninety. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, which is the year you were born? Nope. It was the year I was born. Ah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, but based on prices, right rules, I would have won that. So come on down. All right. So, um, all right. So in the last episode, we kind of started in the middle almost and towards the end because the, uh, yeah. So even though it was the beginning of the sniper spree, that was the middle of the story. Oh, okay. You confused me. I know, Jen. So we... (laughs) <laughs> it's not hard to do i'll give you that uh damn it i want to take a shot what the fuck I can't take one i mean go for it babe we, we need to get started here though like it's already almost nine all right guys well we <sighs> usually don't do surprise shots on uh part dues but uh this shot is brought to you by nipatati gin Nipatati is a organic distillery right here in Charleston, South Carolina, and they just came out with vodka as mm, well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is uh, the one time that you'll hear us take a shot and not want to die afterwards. So cheers, cheers everybody. Ooh, mm, so yeah. good. Okay, so um, just right quick to... Um, Point out Alan's comment. I know that it wasn't a two two three, but there was a two two three found in the car. Okay. Okay. All so the, were the murders were actually committed with an AR fifteen. 
Okay. Oh, exactly. It's a semi assault rifle. It, the two two three just worked for your rhyme. <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> Holy fuck. Oh well, see, Alan, he want, he was mean? just trying to work for the the poem that was there. The okay. Poem? Yeah, I can't even pronounce it the way that John pronounced it. Poem, poem, poem. I, I think I told you that poem. I com- I I uh, presented a poll at school and asked people to pronounce cement, and I was not expecting as many people to say. Cement. Cement. That's what, how you say it, man. What the fuck? So I, I half-heartedly want to apologize, but at the same time, I don't. Or just wholeheartedly. Because <laughs> they... We don't talk proper like y'all do up north. You Yankees, you come down here and you try to mess up our language. I ain't buying that. Go ahead and read that, would you? We were parked in a very large parking lot of a shopping center in Montgomery County, Maryland, or somewhere around this area. The Chevy Caprice was nestled between three cars. The trunk of the car was in a direct line of sight with the front door and parking lot of a Michael's craft store. The first order of business was to plot out the routes of the immediate vicinity once the shot had been taken. Muhammad and I sat before a laptop to decide which of the four routes presented the least traffic, was the shortest to the next destination, and so on. Once we had selected the route and its alternate, Muhammad popped the trunk. Held fast by bungee cords, the trunk was open in about about two inches. Muhammad lowered the seat and slid over into the back. The back rest of the back seat was hinged on two hooks, of which he simply lifted off access to the trunk. The bracing for the back rest had now been removed. I know that like internet was a thing by now, but but there was no there was no Wi Fi in two thousand and two. So what are they? Yeah. Well, they still all right. Do they so, still have GPS on them? Yeah, they then? had GPS. They had a G, uh, handheld GPS, and they uh, had a that's uh, not laptop. What they said they like said a, a laptop. I, I do remember taking. They had a laptop and a handheld GPS. But I don't think that they, they were held they handheld. They did have. And la- there so they was had internet in two thousand two. That's what I said. I said there wasn't Wi-Fi. It wasn't wireless. You can download you can, maps. You can map do maps on, oh, yeah. on a laptop. Available. Oh, yeah. Because I do remember having to navigate yeah, map on laptops. Yeah, all the time, yeah. man. Oh, let me think back to my favorite thing, Lazy Sunday. Google Maps is, is, is the best. True that. Double true. First, he positioned the backrest and spare tire in the trunk. The spare tire was used as a handrest when shooting. Having positioned these items, Muhammad then assembled the AR-15. We would spend roughly two to three weeks of reconnaissance before settling in an area to strike. While Muhammad got settled in the trunk, it was my job to ensure that no one happened to be sitting in the cars around us or loitering nearby. When I gave the go-ahead, immediately a shot rang out. The bullet punched a hole into the glass at the front of the Michael's craft store. Muhammad had missed. The young man he was aiming for was hopping, causing Muhammad to either pull up or mistimed the shot. Next, I assembled the AR-15 and placed it back into its bag. That was the first shot. Before going to bed, Muhammad said, there will be no more missed opportunities. Whoa. Okay, so from what Nicole read, give me uh, some uh, ideas about who's doing this. Well... Well, the name is... Oh, you want to go down that road? I, I, I know it's what everybody's thinking. I'm just going to say it. Um, it's interesting that the, we, the name is Mohammed, um, and we were talking about terrorism. Now, that, that's we don't know anything about this guy, if he's from America or whatever, but that's the first thing that sticks out as we talked about post-9-11. Um, secondly, um, so, you ta- so one, 
it seems like they had they had taken a sh- the the first shot was a full was a day before yeah. they actually started uh, killing people. Quote from what you just read. Quote: We would spend roughly two to three weeks of reconnaissance before settling on an area to strike. Whoa! Two to three weeks. So that's a lot of research. Hell yeah! That's why that's they a had a whole computer. I'm, I'm gonna go into the car in a little bit and show you like the computer setup and the GPS, all this stuff. I also, I why was the guy hopping? Like, was he playing hopscotch? I don't know. I was wondering that too. I was like, what? Like, you don't, like, or if it like grazed him and he was like, ooh. No, no, no. hopping. He was like hopping like a bunny. Hopping. Hmm. Weird. Also, Michael's is one of the trap stores along with CVS and Target. Like a trap house? And you can go TV buy Max. Mexican super meth? No, like the store that you go in to get one thing, you come out spending two hundred dollars. I feel that I feel that way about Home Goods and TJ Maxx. That's what I said. CVS, Target, Home Goods, TJ Maxx, Michaels, and there's another Marshalls. Yeah, there's another one too that's on my list, but I I can't remember it at the moment. Okay, this right here is Kenya Cook. She's 21. We didn't talk about her last episode. I know, because we're going back in time. Oh. Okay. So what you just read was the start of a 23-day sniper spree. And I would love to cover... cover, 23 days? 23 days. 23 days, yeah. And it's really hard to pack all the details into the story. This would be like a four-part story, but two kills me. I mean, it... I know we talk about serial killers and they are active for years, but these guys are spree killers, right? So they're killing multiple people like in a smaller time frame. But they're kind of serial killers too, I guess. They but. are serial killers, yeah. But I feel like for the citizens of the area, twenty three years I mean twenty three twenty three days probably felt like twenty three years because like they were they were all living in fear. Even though 23 days is only three weeks, it just, like, the fact that these people were not apprehended when multiple, I don't know, I don't know, it's it's different, I feel. I feel like it's different. All right, Jim, what day were they sitting in that Michael's parking lot? Um, October 2nd, 2002. That is correct. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I didn't think you would get that. All right, this is this is Kenya Cook you're looking at right now. She is 21, quote, quiet young woman with soft brown eyes. If you see her right there. Okay, go to Talk Murder to see all these pictures. We're going to February 16th, 2002. So this is before the spree oh, murders. Yeah. So, so here's how I'm doing part two. Part one, I was taking you through I'll, the majority. Part one, I was taking you through a lot of the murders that happened during the sniper spree. Okay, but I didn't build character or anything. You guys don't even know who's doing this. This story, I'm going to jump all the way back and build it up to the day that they started the sniper murders. You see what I'm saying? And jumping back like that, now you can build character up and see, Mm. you can really put the person's face to these murders that we Mm. talked about last episode. The only thing that came to mind was the part of the cha-cha slide where he's like, reverse, reverse. I missed it. Okay. Where he's so like, reverse, reverse, because he's going back in time. Oh, oh, oh. 
Kenya Cook is 21 years old. Now, from the Times-Tribune, 22nd December 2002, she's, quote, a sweet-tempered single mom on the mend from a broken relationship, end quote. Okay, she's a, she manages a woman's clothing store called Fashion Bug in Tacoma, Washington. Washington. That's a way away. Yeah. That's where the pull Opposite police of the are. country almost. <laughs> Isn't that the pull up police? Puyallup. Puyallup police. And Ted Bunny. No, uh, not Ted, Ted Bunny. What's yeah, his name? Green yeah, Ted Bunny and a Green River Killers are all thinking. Yeah. She managed a clothing store called the Fashion Bug in Tacoma, Washington. She's also at night taking business classes. Now, remember, she has a six month year old child and she's single. Six month old. What? She <laughs> did that thing. She's got a six I month. I have to give you a credit because it's been a long time since you've said that. So congratulations. She's, she's got a six month child. She's got a she's got a six month child. What that even six month old? Oh, six month old. She's got a six month old child, and she's going to business classes every night. Okay, she's twenty one. She's she's doing good. She's managing that whole shop by herself. All right. Now, her dream is to eventually own her own restaurant one day. And if you want to read this, Nicole. That takes a lot. This is from, uh, this is, this is from the Times-Tribune. Green streaks the windows of the two-story house. Cook has recently sp- split with a child's father and moved in with the aunt and teenage cousin, who are not home at the moment. But they'll be right back. It's a dreary Saturday in February, about 7 p.m., and the family plans a cozy night on the couch in their home in the working-class neighborhood of Roosevelt Heights. Now Cook hears someone at the door. She hears a knock at the door, and she puts down her six-month-old daughter, Angelie. Now she puts her on the bed and walks downstairs. She peeks through the glass, and then she opens the door. She opens the door and she's confronted immediately with the muzzle of a 45 caliber pistol and it's pointing directly at her forehead. Ooh. Now this is from the diary, DC sniper diary. Knock, knock. This is mere karma. Your harmony is resolute. Knock, knock. Men kill. Men don't fight. Men initiate action, not passive reaction. The door opened. Good evening. Is Mrs. Nicholson? I asked. The young lady at the door seemed eager to talk, for she gave me a long answer, telling me exactly the location of Mrs. Nicholas's whereabouts. I have a message for her. I reached into my paper bag, turning my body so she could not see my hand, and a voice deep in me said, Don't, don't, don't. Lee, you cannot face John unless you do this, she inhaled, growing more impatient. This all happens in a few seconds. I pointed the forty-five caliber gun to her face, and in an instant, I saw not her, but me. My old self that I hated, that scared, hurt self. That night, Lee Boyd Malvo died. I pulled the trigger. In an instant, she too was gone. Whoa. Yeah, so that's from the diary. Um, What can you tell about his writing, just reading that, and from what you read earlier? Um, he's educated. There you go. He's very intelligent, actually. I'm talking about uh, 4.0, honor roll, all that stuff. That night, it's fucking weird he's using himself in the third person. Yeah, he's, so basically, Lee, the guy's name is Lee Boyd Malvo, and he starts by saying, Lee, so he's talking to himself, Lee, you cannot face John. John Muhammad is the other 
uh, accomplice with him. You cannot face John unless you do this. Oh, I thought she was saying that to him. No, no, no. So it kind of broke it down. Then she inhaled, <gasps> like, you know, what's what's happening? And oh, this, so he's even saying out loud himself. No, no, no. Well, this person. is, I don't know if he said it out loud, but this is what oh, was going like, through his mind. But he's, he's still thinking about himself. You, you're you're going to see that this guy has a um, photographic memory. And so every little detail like this, he remembers, um, you know, precisely. So she inhaled, <gasps> like she sees the muzzle right in her face, growing more impatient. Now, this all happens in a few seconds. And then he goes back to the what, third person. I pointed the forty-five caliber gun in her face. So he opens the door, and the first thing he asks is, is Miss Nicholas in? So he actually, he didn't just go shoot someone random. He actually asked if someone was at the house. And he knew her. Kind of. And I'm going to tell you right now. According to the spokesman review of the 29th of October, 2012, Cook's aunt, Isa Nichols, used to be the bookkeeper for Muhammad's once uh, auto repair business that failed. Now, mm. you'll, you'll start to see this. I don't want to give the whole story away, but Nichols became friends with Muhammad's ex-wife at the time. Okay. Now, this explains a little more into that scenario. This is from the Vancouver Sun, uh, October 31st, 2002. Nichols said his wife, Isa, is a former bookkeeper for Muhammad's failed auto repair business here, had once helped Muhammad's ex-wife hide from him at a woman's shelter and sat beside her in court during the custody hearing for their three children. Isa Nichols did not respond to requests for interviews, but her husband said they never suspected him in their niece's slang until last week. So, Hmm. yeah, these I'm going to tell you in a second, but these uh, both of these guys got arrested. And so these murders didn't even come to light until after the whole arrest and everything. They didn't even, I mean, because this is in Washington. How, how, when was this again? This was February 16th, 2002. And the murders, the spree killers. Oh yeah. The the spree murders. It was like eight months later. Yeah. Yeah. It was October 2nd. So we're starting in Washington. I told you I was going to go back to this episode and we're going to make our way back up to uh, Maryland. Okay. But before I go any further from now, I do want to show you the uh, D.C. snipers. So uh, the picture, John Muhammad is on the left. He's in the orange jumpsuit. And then Lee Boyd Malvo, the book we're reading from, that's him on the right in the uh, green looks shirt. looks awfully young. Yeah. yeah, just keep that in mind. He is 17 oh. at the time of this this whole thing. And well, in fact, no, actually, um, he was 16 when he just killed... Uh, you know, the uh, oh, Kenya oh Cook. Yeah. So he just wow. he just turned seventeen on February eighteenth, and she was killed on February sixteenth. So he oh, was wow. uh, he was sixteen when he went to her door. Wow! Oh my gosh! I can't. Like some of my kids are older than that kid. You know, interesting that he's has such a very high intelligence level, and he's doing yeah. That. Okay. Um. So now, he, I'm sorry to interject. I I really am, but you said he. This is we're reading from his diary, which you referred to him as the trigger man. So he's the one that's shooting. Yeah, he's a trigger man. So the huh. mastermind is Muhammad. He's Muhammad. I'm not going to get really into him because number one, he's dead. He was killed by a lethal injection, death penalty. Okay. Okay. Hmm. That's not the point. I want to get in with this story. The Seems- guy on the right, the trigger man, is not dead. Okay. Was it because he was tried as a juvenile or was he tried as an adult? Is this too far ahead for what we know? 
This is from the Washington Times about 22 hours ago they posted this. Today? Yeah, today. Whoa. Senate Bill 103 just passed the Virginia Senate without much attention from the public on a vote of 29 to 10. Now the proposal heads to the House of Delegates and every Virginian should know what it does and try to stop it from becoming law. Lawmakers claim it is about fairness to the accused. It is not fair to the citizen jurors who have heard evidence in his case. And it is especially not fair to the millions of Virginians who were terrorized almost 20 years ago by Lee Boyd Malvo, the D.C. sniper who was tried as an adult at age 17 and sentenced to life in prison. If this bill is not stopped, Malvo will be eligible for parole. What? So the title of this article is "Why the DC Sniper Should Never Be Eligible for Parole." Oh, so we the, are. This is. So is the bill have it to do with juvenile? Yes, that's and that's a big thing we're going to talk about tonight. This was posted January twenty eighth, twenty twenty. This is news, okay? Whoa. And at the guys at the very that end, was, that was literally yesterday. Okay. He he didn't get the death penalty. Okay. All right. And then we're going to get to the whole story. We're going to get to the whole story. Kill anyone? Exactly. I'm get into that. But we're talking about uh, Lee Boyd Malvo right now. Okay. He's the trigger man. He killed all those people. Okay. Which okay. amounted to how many people? I'll get. To, I'll, I'll tell you the number in a second. Okay. But, Wasn't it twelve or something? But as of now, he got his life sentences, or he's getting his life sentences overturned. What? So he will be able to get out on parole, and it may be like one of those technicalities where he's free a lot sooner than people think. Okay? You know what I'm saying? He could be walking around in the next 10 years. Mm. It, yeah, and it sounds crazy. You know about that. No, you do know about that. It, it says right here, if they cannot pass this bill, then he can walk free. Okay, Wait, if, you, if they cannot pass the bill, he yeah. can walk free? If they stop, they have to stop they the bill. They have to stop the bill. Um, and read this, this bottom line. Call your legislatures in the House of Delegates before it's too late. Tell them to vote no on the proposals that would bring back parole. Now, this is for Virginia State, correct? This is not something that we as a nation can vote on? Correct. Okay, so Nicole brought up a really good point about, um, so he's, so Muhammad didn't pull the trigger. Right. He says something like that. He's not the actual killer. He's not the actual killer. He's but the he was the mastermind. For sure. But, and he probably didn't think of this, and I'm going to get into the backgrounds, don't worry. But there is a statute called the Triggerman Statute. Now, oh. this is from the Star Democrat, 23rd December 2002. All evidence points to Malvo as Sniper Triggerman. The other statute allows for the death penalty when a person commits more than one murder in a three-year period. That statute is unlikely to face a constitutional challenge, but generally, only the trigger man can receive the death penalty under that law. Huh. Prince William Commonwealth's attorney, Paul Ebert, has said, though that a death penalty could be obtained, if that evidence overwhelmingly shows that the person who didn't pull the trigger was so thoroughly involved in the planning and execution of the crime that his involvement was equivalent to pulling the trigger. While the terrorism law makes it easier to obtain the death penalty against a person who is not the triggerman, it is also new untested law that will surely be challenged on constitutional grounds. 
The other statute allows for the death penalty when a person commits more than one murder in a three-year period. Mm. So they're making all kinds of new laws. But I mean, how is... I, I still don't understand how this... Other guys didn't get the death penalty. He was because he was seventeen. You can't put a minor to death in any state. But he was tried as an adult. It doesn't matter. You can't put a minor to death in in any state. I'm pretty sure. Maybe Texas because they do whatever the fuck they want. Well, I'm just. I. I mean, I'm not questioning what you're saying, but I'm like wondering what the difference is if he was tried as a juvenile versus if he was tried as an adult. If he's tried as a juvenile, he can stay in life in prison. Right. But you can't put a juvenile to death. So regardless of the fact that he was tried as an adult. I'm pretty sure. I've, I don't know of any 17-year-olds that have been executed. Was, but once, I mean. But you're, he's not 17. Like, it takes a long time to be on, get through death no, row. No, but it doesn't matter. The crime was committed when he was 17. Right. He was a minor. I get what you're saying. That is why he may walk free. You guys got to understand that. He may walk free of all of this. All right. Let's talk about the Caprice, the uh, 1990 Caprice. September 10th, Mohammed buys a blue Chevy Caprice with 146,975 miles on it at Sure Shot Auto Sales in Trenton, New Jersey. He pays $250 for the car. Wow, if I ha- if if I could buy a car for that amount of money, I probably would. Do you think no. it was ironic that the name of the town or the name of the auto shop was Sure Shot? Ooh. Oh, shit, I didn't catch that. That's, sure shot auto sales. Isn't that sales. fucking weird? That's, that is. Weird. You, you know what's funny also is that the name of the car is Caprice. I think of a Caprice salad, but it's not spelled like that. Okay, this is the Caprice right here. Now, it's basically a modified cruiser. Now, I want to say that it was outfitted similar to the Irish Republican Army, how they would outfit ah. their vehicles. Mm. Do you know what that is? Yes, yes. it was a conflict between uh, England. Well, no, who, who is the, the actual I- army? The IRA. The, the IRA is the Northern rebels. Ireland. Okay. It's it's nor- Northern Irish people who are against. Yeah, exactly. So British. they're known for uh, paramilitary terrorist acts, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, car bombs and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And anyway, their doctrine has specific ways they outfit the car. And so he followed a lot of that doctrine. If you see there the top picture, you go to talkmore.com, right above the license plate. Do you see that little cut above the license plate? You see it? Yeah. The uh, On the top picture? Yeah. So that is the trunk you're looking at. When the trunk pops open, you pop it open a little bit and it's held by a bungee cord so it doesn't come all the way up. Pops open like maybe an inch. And that little hole there, that's where your muzzle goes. Whoa. And you put that in there. So so the shooter was sitting in the trunk. Exactly. Whoa. The shooter was sitting in the trunk. So he was so he looked for a car that had a large trunk. That's the car right there. That is completely different than a white box truck. Yes, it is. Yeah. And I would imagine that's not a very popular car, though, that's driving around even in 2002. Okay, so that's the trunk right there. You see how I'm, you see him sitting in the back right there? Yeah. Did they okay. have the seats down in the back? The, the seat folded down. If you remember what Nicole read the first time, the, the missed shot, mm-hmm. the, uh, the seat folds down all the way, and then the tire back there, um, from what I can see, was where you kind of rested your uh, rifle on. Um, so, so, and the scope can also come out of that little hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he can see through so it's that a very, big cut above the license plate. Yeah, it's a very uh, tight squeeze, but it's it's good enough for what they were doing. Now, they were shooting across 
for six lane highways. So, I mean, it worked pretty good. Now, the police also found in the car an AR-15 in a duffel bag with explosives. This is from the diary. We added solar panels to the dashboard so I could run the laptop without draining the car's battery. Work was also done on the engine, making it more powerful. But the most important changes were made to the trunk of the car. We removed the frame to the separate to separate the trunk of the car from the inside. This alteration, without being seen either before or after a shooting t- took place, all of the windows were darkly tinted. Also found in the car. Now this is from the FBI's website. Um, a Bushmaster two two three caliber rifle. That's for you, Alan. That was used. Um, also a rifle scope for taking aim. Uh, a back seat that had the sheet metal removed between the passenger compartment and the trunk, enabling the shooter to get into the trunk from inside the car. The Chevy Caprice's owner manual with the FBI laboratory later detected written impressions of the one of one of these demand notes. Um, I, I didn't get to the notes. Uh, the digital voice recorder used by both Malvo and Muhammad to make extortion demands. And, and I didn't get in any of the extortion demands or anything because it just take way too long for these episodes. But a laptop stolen from one of the victims containing maps of the shooting sites and gateway routes from some of the crime scenes and maps, walkie-talkies, and more and many more items. That's from the FBI's website. Hmm. All right, so let's get into these guys, right? Um, here, this is a quote from a guidance counselor. Um, excuse me. The proper term now is school counselor. Oh, all right, well, go ahead and read this school counselor. Miss James, the child needs a stable home somewhere to settle down. He cannot keep rolling from place to place. This is doing him no good. You have an intelligent son who can do well if he has a steady support system. Former guidance counselor of Lee Boyd Malvo. Now, at that time, they were called guidance counselors. However, we're now called school counselors because we do more than just give guidance. Okay, Malvo was born on February 18th, 1985. He's one year and a few days older than me. To an Una James and Leslie Malvo. Now, I said he was born on February 18th, and he killed killed Kenya on February 16th. Hmm. That makes him 16 by two days. Okay, well, which doesn't matter. He's still a minor, but I'm just saying. All right, this is, uh, I got some pictures of him. I'm going to just scroll down these. I'll put all these on talkmer.com for you guys. Um, so this is him right here as a baby. This is his dad. This is mom. This is him. Him. Now this is the young one. This is the 17 year old, not Muhammad. Okay. Right. Was he born in the U S no, he was actually born in Kingston, Jamaica. Okay. So do you remember the tarot card? The Mr. Mr. Police. Yeah. So the, uh, Mm -hmm. BAU, the, uh, Fitzgerald. yeah. Yeah. He nailed that right on the head. That's why, uh, he gets paid the big bucks. You guys remember Sean Kingston? Yeah. He was from Jamaica. Uh, so where did his teachers and also think that he was like a gifted student? Or yeah, he was gifted. He was uh, extremely smart and a photographic memory. And he was born in Kingston, Kingston, Jamaica. His father Leslie Malvole was known as quote the Brown Man. He was a Mason. He was not a disciplinarian at all. He was the uh, he was the the nice dad. He was he was you. Yeah, he was the um, softy, if you will. Mm-hmm. He was the a good mother cop. was a disciplinarian. Uh-huh. Okay, he loved Malvo. 
He was a loving guy. And Malvo in his diary also remembers his father would take his father would tie a rope to the handlebars of his tricycle and, quote, pull me to and fro wherever he went. A little more about Leslie Malvo is he was a Mason. Like I said, he was quiet, quote, the most emotionally available adult in the family. Although he loved his son, he loved his son and he never pressured him unlike his mother did. He would never, ever beat his son. And from uh, Lee Boyd Malvo, quote, I was a little caramel complexioned replica of him, his pride and joy. But he did have a bad side. He was, and this is a quote from the diary, a man whore and a philanderer. He also had a gambling addiction. He would also hit his wife. Okay, oh, Una. Nice. But at the, the most of the times I read in the diary, she was the aggressor. The father actually leaves to go make money in the Grand Cayman Islands, okay? Hmm. And he was going to send it back to Kingston, Jamaica. But the thing that, but what went wrong here is even though he's a great guy and nice guy, he's also a womanizer. Like I said, he's a man whore. And he just left. So his, well, no, he didn't leave. He was sending money. But then the wife, um, Malvo's mother, finds out that there's another woman living in his apartment mm. while he's working up there. Uh-oh. Coming home, you know, he's got like two two things going. He's got some strange polyamorous. Up there. Yeah. So, she found out and she actually took a machete to him. Oh. Although shit. she <laughs> He just uh, That's deserves. not she not playing. Well, it was, he just got his finger cut off, but oh. you know, nothing nothing big. Worse. Which finger? Well, don't show us a picture. Every fortnight, my father would have to deliver X amount of dollars to my mother for all the bills, savings, and to cover the cost of her tuition. She was learning the the trade of a seamstress and wanted to be a fashion designer. On this one weekend, my father was short, so my mother arrived at the conclusion that he had given money to his other woman. He had been caught, being that he had been caught red-handed in the act before she was within reason to assume this they got into an argument that my father knocked one or two of my mother's teeth out Ooh. this was one beating too many oh so yeah. he is not a fan of his dad and jen said um can you show us a picture and in fact one of the things about this uh diary here if, if you um if you read this diary he includes all his own uh drawings he's a he's a, you know a fantastic artist so i'm gonna show you what that looked like so this is the uh, what machete. he drew that. Yeah, he drew that. There's wow. so this diary is full of drawings, um, really good drawings too. Oh my gosh! And I wonder how long it took him to draw that. It probably took him longer to draw that picture than it did to write the entry. And I'm gonna uh, put all these on talkmurder.com, but I'll scroll through here and uh, show wow. you a few. Let's see. It literally looked like a picture book, like something that you would yeah, literally it's like purchase. A, c- a cartoon. He could probably be the stentographer. No, not stentographer. That's the person that types. He could probably be the courtroom artist for his own trial. So his mother cuts off all ties with the father, drains the bank account, and moves to to the rural endeavor in the parish of St. Anne. Now, she basically literally cuts contact once she finds out of his infidelities, right? I mean, completely just blacklisted him. He, he had no idea where they were. So, and, and you know, he has a right to see his son. Well, I don't know if, how they do it in Jamaica, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So he was trying to at least see his son, but she denied him that. Now, Malvo, as I said before, was very intelligent. And this is from his book, quote, I was a fairly intelligent child with a photographic memory that I still possess to this day. All right. So 
Let's talk a little bit about the mother. She's the aggressor. Once she left her husband, numerous men would come in and out of the home. You know, she's trying to obviously find uh, the replacement. And Lee Malvo resented his mother, not hated, because I was I read the entire diary and and I could see so so many mother problems in there. And it wasn't a, a hate. It was more of a resentment. You know what I'm saying? It's not like pure hatred. It's just like, I, I don't know how to explain it. Kind of like, come on, mom, like you don't have to do this type of thing. Yeah, but this is going to play a very big part is the father left when he was four years old. Okay. And so he didn't have a father figure growing up and he loved his father a lot. And he grew up without a father, pretty much. So he's searching himself for a father figure. Okay, keep that in mind. All right, so here you go. Read this. This is from the diary. I soon started a pattern of passive-aggressive behavior and retaliation. I couldn't fight back with the blows, so instead I broke my mother's cherished crockery and began to stay out late. I hated my life. First, she smacked that look off my face, then got a belt and used the leather end with a buckle to beat me. She hit me everywhere, and when it was all said and done, I had welts all over my body, and my eye was swollen, along with blood pouring out from my head. I got beatings at least twice daily for a few good hours with my mouth closed, so imagine the trouble I would have caused myself if I had opened it. Nope, that was not going to be worth it. The abuse was a a 24-hour-a-day thing, verbal and physical. A lecture about my disobedience, being worthless, being heartless, causing her to become a failure, coupled with how I was to be blamed for all her failed relationships, including her current relationship, which was now in disarray. Okay, I have many more quotes about him getting beating, beaten to a pulp, but you guys understand he was abused by yep. his mother. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, I also read where he was um, he was molested by a, a babysitter at one point. Oh. I did read that in there. He also says, quote, Have you ever been beaten so badly that you could not sit, sleep, or eat? Oh, it shoot. was like being stomped on by a bunch of bullies three times your size. Wow. Okay. Now. So, I mean, so he was, his his mother had a, a falling out with his father. His father left. He was abused by his mother. So I might be skipping ahead, but can I can one assume that this Muhammad guy was a father figure to him? There you go, Jen. You're right on it. You're getting a lot of stickers. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Lee Boy Malvo wanted to become an airline pilot. That's like his dream. So they actually move to Antigua. You guys know where that is? is? Yes, it's in the Caribbean, right? Yeah, it's and in the Caribbean. I want to go there. That's one of my, that's on my bucket list of places to go. I have a so friend. beautiful. I, I had a friend that's going to, uh, he got a scholarship for medical school there. Really? Yeah. Not a bad place to go to school. No, no. My my friend went to I mean, med- I don't know if the school is actually good, but as, you know, <laughs> physically. <laughs> Probably shady. But one, of, one of my friends like went to. Is that, is that owned by the U- United States? No. no. Which school is it? Do no, you know? I'm talking about the the Antigua. Oh the no, island. I think it's uh, British. It's own. Oh, maybe it's his own. I don't I'd know. Be, uh, I'd be weirded out. You know, like those doctors in North it's Korea. Like, it's like on Scrubs how that the Todd got his yes. doctorate in like Jamaica or something. Yes, the Todd. But um, Antigua's on my bucket list. Also, Bora Bora in Belize, which is Belize with a Z, but Belize, like Barcelona. All right, so. Anyway, they moved to Antigua. Now, around this time, the mother 
gets it in her head that she wants to go to the United States. So she actually goes to St. Martin and literally leaves Lee Boyd Malvo, a teenager, 14 years old, in Antigua to fend for himself. Hmm. Literally, to eat. To I mean, she's not sending any help back. She just takes off and leaves. So he's living by himself, you know, and trying to survive. So what do you do when you're trying to do that? Well, you start Begging. trying to make money, right? You start selling Mexican super meth. Or palmetto roses. Go ahead, Nicole. Video games, computer software, anything I could resell, I stole it. I sold them... I told them to give me three days and I would have it for them, and I usually did. My most dependable catch was the church offering plate. On a good weekend, the church plate yielded between 75 and 100 Eastern Caribbean currency. The exchange rate at the time was one dollar equaled one US dollar equaled two dollars and twenty cents EC. Two months flew by fast, and I had enough for the rent, which was four hundred. Mr. Williams came by every two weeks and gave me $50. So that helped me pay the light bill. Hmm. Yeah, so he's talking about selling computers. He's he, Stolen he, goods. Stolen goods, basically. CDs, DVDs, all that stuff. He's selling it. All right. Now, I'm, I'm going to skip forward to this. I'm, I'm trying to—this part is about him because, Muhammad, I'll, I'll answer a little bit of questions, but, I mean— you know, this is about him because he may get out of prison. So we need to build his personality about this. Right. All right. During my final days on the island is when I saw John Allen Muhammad. He was at Zaja's electronic and computer repair shop where a few kids played on computer games. Mr. Muhammad's son, John Jr., was playing a flight simulator game. I had watched the relationship they had. He was talking to his son to return to the cockpit view, saying, you don't fly a plane from the inside out. John Jr. laughed and returned to his instrument panel. Then he went to practice his father, as had recommended, with just the instrument panel by island hopping in a thunderstorm. There was so much laughter, joking, and encouragement. It was something I was not used to seeing between a father and his son. John Muhammad made his money getting legitimate American identification, birth certificates, passports, all this stuff for people that want to go to the United States. Obviously, it was illegal, but it was legitimate documents, like... It's not just a fake passport. It's Mm -hmm. a a real identity, right? Now, his real name is not John Muhammad. It's John Allen Williams, but he changed Hmm. it to Muhammad when he converted to Islam in 1987. Interesting. And I put a—you remember a Superbad? Muhammad, that's the most Most widely (laughs) name in the world. (laughs) All right, so a little bit about John Muhammad. He was actually an engineer in the Army— he, he grew up in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and he was actually in the Army and the National Guard. Like in the National Guard, I believe he was like a mechanic, and then he went to the Army. He was like a combat engineer. Okay. So now you, you start to see where the uh, techniques come in, right? Okay. He was already—he he knew how to fix the car. He upgraded the car because he was a mechanic. We're still talking about Muhammad, right? right. Yeah, Muhammad. Okay, okay. It's a very brief on Muhammad. And and I want to say he did fight in the Gulf War, and there was some, and since he was around chemicals, there was some debate, some talk that I saw about, you know, he was his brain was, you know, affected by these chemical warfare, and that made him like all messed up. But he was know. also professionally trained on how to like do all these things. Yeah, and that's what yeah. I was saying. Does I was going there next too? Did is he the one that? trained yeah that so him on shooting skills yeah exactly 
Now, mm, awfully good um, though. Quote, John understood me. He listened. He appreciated me and took into account my perspective in almost every subject. Okay. Now at this, John was charging $3,500 to get the mother into the United States. And actually, John Muhammad got, um, obviously, Lee Boyd Malvo into the United States with, you know, the identification and, and the passport or whatever. Is he helping them get into the United States legally or illegally? I don't know if that's relevant, if it's not, whatever. From what I found out, it's illegal, but it's it's like real identities almost. It's like changing your identity or something. I don't don't really know. I I couldn't really tell. I mean, maybe it's legal, but I mean, he's a shady dude. You can can cut that part. No, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's not legal. And with that's another question. I mean, this guy is not even from here. He's from Jamaica. Mm. Like, I don't even know how that plays in. I actually didn't even think about that till now. Well, I wouldn't. He's not. It wouldn't be considered a domestic terrorist. That's for sure. Correct. Now, he says, now, John Muhammad had a few sons of his own. Keep that in mind. And a daughter. Now, that's going to become very important. By November 15, 2000, my mother was in the United States. I got very ill several months after my mother left. For the first eight years of my life, I had suffered with bouts of rheumatic fever. I had such an attack during this period that I was completely bedridden. Muhammad visited to check in on me and found the door open. He took me to the doctor where I received antibiotic shot antibiotic shots. Muhammad stayed with me, kept me at his house for nearly a week and nursed me back to health. And at this point, he starts calling him sir and Muhammad starts calling him son. Son. Mm-hmm. So now you see how this is fitting in because Lee Boyd Malvo always wanted a father figure. He had one, but the mother took him away right? because he wanted to come He's back. He's being manipulated for sure. Exactly. All right. At this point, Muhammad was calling Lee Boyd Malvo's son. He also introduced him to the nation of Islam, Mm -hmm. and he added a systematic training of physical fitness. Now, you'll see in a second, they would run three miles a day and only eat one meal a day, and they would constantly be doing push-ups and and just being—he was being trained as a killer. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. This this is what the Taliban does, too. Like, they— they indoctrinate you with all this stuff you're about to see, and then they get your physical fitness, so you're you're good enough to go, you know, do a bunch of harm. Like this is exactly what this is. To this day, I cannot do a push up. You are an instrument. Whenever your conscience gets in the way, do this. He hits his left pectoral muscle on his chest with his right fist really hard. Call your heart to rest, distill your thoughts, still your mind, concentrate, go over what has to be done. Think of the possible escape routes. Don't think it, be it. You are what you think. Watch your eyes, observe what your eyes really see. Get your heartbeat down. Stop blinking so often. Ask, why am I perspiring? He then pats me on the back. The only one who can do it is you. I can give you the pie, but I can't force you to eat. Free your mind. Well, Lee Boyd Malvo is not only eating one meal a day, but Muhammad is, okay? And they actually, the reason they, they're doing this is because this guy named Elijah Muhammad. Now, all right, do you remember the Dylan Roof case? Yeah. The uh, white supremacist? Yeah. So take that case with this episode 
and literally just change the colors around. Okay. Okay. Because these guys I'm going to tell you about are the uh, the black supremacists, if you will. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what they are, right? I mean, they're, you know, Malcolm X and stuff like that. Uh, all those people, they fit along with this. The, like, Black Panther-type movement. Yeah, and I, I don't know too much about the Black Panthers, but this is Elijah Muhammad. Now, this is what they would listen to on a daily basis over and over and over, all the lectures and everything else. Now, Malcolm X, I did a little bit of research. Malcolm Malcolm X was a part of this movement until they had a falling out after mm-hmm. JFK got shot. And, and I don't know the details about it, but so it's that same indoctrination that you're going to hear is that that is basically radicalism. And until we can really sit down and do some serious research on what our diets is doing, and finally on that illegal drug thing, there was one person in this country that brought us the problem and solved it without switching you from one drug to methadone another one, without a federal grant. And if that man would have been a white man, we would all know we had the solution. His name was Elijah Muhammad. And now, now you black folks know because he took our mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, nieces and nephews, aunts and uncles, and took them out the gutter, hooked to all kinds of drugs, all kinds of whiskey, all kinds of everything with pockmarked faces and bloodshot eyes. And when he gave them back to us, their faces was as smooth as velvet and their eyes was as white as snow. And they walked with a dignity like the sun would touch their head. How did he do it? Rearrange their diet. He took a Malcolm X who was a thug, a pimp, a dope addict, and a dope pusher. And when Malcolm left us, he was one of the most honest, ethical human beings that ever lived in the history of this planet. How'd the old man do that? Did he send him to Harvard or Yale or MIT or Harvard University? He rearranged his diet, and he didn't do no more. And right today, we can walk across this country in the black community we can recognize black Muslims, not because of them bow ties and funny looking haircuts, because of the texture of their skin and the quality of their walk and the whiteness of their eyes. And there's no trick. There was no magic. You didn't have to read nothing. You didn't have to go to school and learn it. Real. Because right. so they eat one meal a day? Well, I haven't read this guy's book. It's called, um, here's the book right here. I think it's kind of the book that you only read if you're... Uh, you know, in this movement. Because hmm. I was like, you know, it's on Amazon, and some guy was like, this shit ain't working. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Uh... <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Uh, so anyway, and, it, you know, I could go into more detail about that. But anyway, th- what I'm trying to say here is th- he was radicalized. Right. Okay, they would listen to, constantly listen to this Elijah Muhammad and... um uh, other people, there's a guy, and, and I haven't done much research on him, but uh, he's called Minister Far- uh, Farrar Hakan, and I listened to a little bit of his YouTube uh, speeches. It's, it's very um, radical. And when you're radicalized, I mean, your thought process may not even be that it's bad for other people. A, you right. know what I mean? Like, it's that's when you're, when you're, it's like a mission. Yeah, when you're so into that belief. And I'm not trying to justify what people have done. Um, I'm just saying that, you know, it it doesn't matter what religion it is. You can be a radical, 
whatever and that's that's your purpose in life you know Mm -hmm. so i'm not really doing a good job in explaining this but just remember the whole time this guy's 17 year old kid he found a father figure and john muhammad he was introduced to radical islam and he was basically trained to kill I mean, they would go to the rifle range every day. Here, I, I got a... I can't remember if you said this, and but how long were, were they, like, together before the event happened? Like, how long was he training them for? If, uh, I think I think it was three years. Oh, wow. But it was straight training. Um, hmm. You know, I mean, they would go to the rifle range every day, and I'm not going to get into this, but how they would fund their venture was they'd be doing little schemes. They had, like, a... Uh, cashback schemes where they go and and buy something at once or they go and steal something at one store and then return it to the same store like they paid for it kind of thing. Kind of like the John Perry Suchiru. So this is <laughs> like this is a picture of them at the shooting range. Oh wow. This I'm assuming is, uh, you do that too. Yeah so th- they, oh, these are all these are all his drawings but this is Lee Boyd Muhammad and or Lee Boyd Malvo and you see his father if you will is sitting mm-hmm. right over so they spent all their money and they were making good money i'm talking about like they'd make like five grand a day sometimes doing these what? little schemes yeah so they spent that all on um a ymca ymca gym membership and literally shells for hmm. rounds and shells for guns i mean he was getting radicalized you know at a very high rate of speed i've, I've seen i've seen people get rad radicalized but that was pretty quick hmm. you know within a few years but um Anyway, so y'all understand that. Okay, yeah. let's move on. Now, we're moving from Tacoma, Washington, and we're going to Tucson, Arizona. All right, this is March 19th, 2002. Okay, now he is 17. Okay. Okay, this is, so what, a month after? Yeah, one yep. month, mm-hmm. almost one month to the day. This is a Jerry Ray Taylor. He's a 60-year-old man. He was golfing at the Fred Inc. golf course in Tucson, Arizona. Now, the background of this guy, he was a dairy product and frozen goods salesman, and he would always go to this golf course and just, he would go and hit a bunch of golf balls and do a couple pars or what, I don't know, I don't know golf. But <laughs> hit a couple hit pars. A, hit, uh, play, a, play a round or two. Play a couple holes, holes yeah. or whatever. Play a round. Um, this is from the Tucson Citizen, the 21st of March, 2002. And if you'll notice when you're reading this, this is before they got caught. Police are not saying what was taken from Jerry Ray Taylor, 61, who was found dead Tuesday afternoon by other golfers. Several people at the golf course, eight 8251 East Irvington Road thought they had heard something like gunshots that afternoon, said Pam Drake, the course's head golf pro. Golfers were not alarmed because they frequently hear shots from the nearby Davis Monathan Air Force Base small arms range. His body was found shortly after 2 p.m. Tuesday in desert brush in a chipping area. His golf clubs and bag were found some distance from his body, police said. There were probably five or six people out there when they were looking for their golf balls that discovered the body, Drake said. Now, John Muhammad's older sister lived in the Tucson area at the time. John decided that we needed to visit the park bordering the golf course to see if the venue presented the best opportunity for a shot. Under the pretext of exercising with his sister, we visited the park. I separate myself from John and his sister. 
I walked the trails and discovered that the desert offered little in the way of cover. The following evening, John tells me to get dressed. He then hands me a bus ticket and my backpack, which contained water, protein bars, dried cranberries, granola, a full day's supplies of vitamins, desert camouflage fatigues, boots, a sleeping bag, some plastic bags, pencils, and a drawing pad. John said, I want a full description of the target's routine. I need a detailed map of the park. I want you to highlight on the map the escape routes and the best places to take a shot. I need for you to clock the escape routes. Understand? Yes, sir, I replied. He hands me the binoculars. So they're just going to shoot a random 60-year-old golfer. Oh. It's practice. It, it's he's, practice. He's, tra- he's getting him trained. The first, exactly. I and feel like at this point he does not know what is coming. Oh, no, no, no. Well, like, right. He does not know that and that I'm, plan I did is not coming, get into this. You know? I did not get into this, but I will now. Okay. John Muhammad lost his wife. His wife left him because he's a freaking maniac. Right. right? But he has a few kids. So when they get divorced, John Muhammad basically kidnaps his own children and takes oh. them down to Antigua, where he met Lee Boy uh. Malvo. Okay. But the kids get taken back from him because you just kidnapped these kids and took them to Another an country. island. Yep. You know, you're probably not fit to raise kids anyway. So, and there's this whole like, there's like audio clips of him in custody battle for these kids. Huh. It's crazy. So. Mm-hmm. He gets back, okay, and he can't get the kids through the court process because they're not going to give them to him. Plus, his ex-wife has just vanished off the face of the earth and took the kids. He finds out those kids are living in the Washington, D.C. area. Mm. Is this starting to make sense right now? Um. Now it's starting to come together. So here's what here's the story, okay? And then when I figured this out, I was like, what the fuck? He is trying to get back at his ex-wife. That's he doesn't give a shit about any that. of this crap, from what I can see. he What he wants to do is kill his ex-wife, but if you go and, like, Nicole— and so he's going to kill a whole bunch of random Exactly, because, all right, if you kill me, the cops are going to be like, all right, Nicole, we know you did it. It's like, you know, we're not dumb. But if you go, I'm just saying— and you kill 30 other people with me in there somewhere. As a just random person. Well, I mean, not, not I mean, if you, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Of, yes, you're one yes. of 30 people. You're one of 30. And so. it seems like it's a, you, that, that you exactly. are totally random in this selection. Exactly. That That's is the story. very interesting. That mm. is the so story. So did he actually kill her? No, he didn't kill her. Uh. But do you remember... The first, the murder we talked about, the first murder we talked about today. Yes. The 21-year-old mother. Yes. Okay. Her aunt, who was also living at the house, Isa. Right. Helped the ex-wife hide during the custody battle. Oh. Okay. Okay. So he's trying to get, he's basically a fucking baby is what he is. He's trying to get back at his ex-wife. Okay. So as Nicole said earlier, he took that go bag with granola bars and all this stuff, water. He actually sat in the rough or whatever on a golf course, like in the trees where he can't be saw, where he can't be seen. Mm -hmm. He lay down there in a sniper's position for three days, three days. And he mapped one guy's movement this 60-year-old, for three days, he just sat there in silence on this golf course that Lee Boyd Muhammad or Lee Boyd Malvo did for three freaking days. And that's when he got 
the idea of how to lure in his prey. And this is what he was going to do. The guy he noticed, he would always walk towards this one edge because that's where a lot of the golf balls, and he had like one of these automated, I don't know how, maybe like a leaf blower looking thing and it'd pick up the golf balls. Mm -hmm. So this guy, 16 year old guy zigzags over and he just picking up all the golf balls. So he got the, the idea that if I just get a bunch of golf balls and kind of put a, make a trap, you know, mm -hmm. close to where I am, I can lure this 60 year old in and kill him. And um, then since I'm, you know, in the cover, in the in the bush here, I could just drag his body in there and no one will find him. Right. I mean, it's fucking nuts, right? Because what the fuck? Who sits there for three days and stalks a 60-year-old golfer? Someone who's been brainwashed to do it. Exactly. That you know? That is, that's, now you see the story, right? Yeah, now you I see you. why you. the other argument to this case is it's, it wasn't me that uh, did this. Oh. It was the indoctrination and the brainwashing that did this. I mean, I now, now you understand. I still think that, like you, you have a a part in it for but sure. But do you at seventeen? Yes. Okay. I because mean, a I, lot of people don't. I don't I'm just think. Saying. I don't think it's a part that's not enough to to not go to life in prison at least. You know. I know he is in life in prison, but I'm know, saying but it, I'm, it could be. It, it could he could be free one day. It might be till he's eighty. But look at the Evil Brothers episode. That asshole's free, yeah. you know. And he like raped and killed a twelve year old. And he's walking free, free as a bird. Like mm -hmm. it's bullshit. And this guy bullshit. who has killed I don't, a lot I don't, of fucking I don't, people. I don't think anyone who has killed someone, you know, even like, if they're brainwashed. It's not like it was one fucking person. What do this, you mean? Like, I, I could almost make feel differently about it if it was a singular event where he like he was brainwashed to kill somebody. He ended up killing how many people like 20 people. Oh, OK, well, yeah. And that, that brings me into to this. You can read this. And so that's where it's like, I, I kind of don't. I get the, I, I totally get it, brainwashed or not, but that doesn't mean that somebody that should be walking free in our society. Sorry, I you know, still gotta go to prison. He may for the rest because of your life. he's 17 or he was 17 I, at the time. I'm I just get, saying what, I, I, and that does add another complication to it. And like, I'm just saying why you should call those, the, the senator and say, what the hell, this guy could be walking free. Because here's how it works, man. Like, they they they're real quiet until they're free. You know what I'm saying? Here's the thing: you gotta make a fuss now. But yeah. he was he was closer to 18 than he would have been if he was like 14 when this happened. You know what I mean? Well, like, it doesn't matter. A minor's a minor. You could be. You, it could be the day before your 18th birthday, and you I kill. Everyone. I see what you're saying, but there are I, like I think a, a judge has to ultimately decide if you're going to be tried as an adult. So I don't. I don't know what the like what they decided here. Here's the thing about being a minor or not being a minor. You just said like it could be the day before his 18th birthday. 
The day before his 18th birthday, he can't be drafted to go fight in a war, but the next day, he's suddenly more mature enough that he can be drafted hey, to fight in a the war. Rules. But that's the law. That's a law, I know man. it's a law. I know it's a law. That's what I'm saying is that it doesn't necessarily matter if he was 17 versus 18. I'm saying he was closer to an age of legality than he was if he was like 14 when it happened and he was being brainwashed. It, it, like He had some sense. I mean, he was desperately searching for a father but he was figure. 14 when he met this guy and then since day one it was indoctrination they were running three miles a day doing push-ups or listening to nothing but malcolm x and and all those radical you know movements or whatever i mean that's his life for three years so i think so there there there's i don't know enough about this kind of case law or like what so i think the ages of like between 16 and 18 is like the gray area of i think a judge can decide if um they are mental mature enough to be tried as an adult i think there is the ability for a judge to determine that no no he was tried as an adult you guys understand that but he's still a minor but he's he that he's a minor so he couldn't be executed gotcha okay that is the thing, but which is fine. I mean, like I said, I, I, oh, never mind. But Whoa. he's already asked for a lower sentence, okay? Because he was and a minor? they're starting because he got multiple life sentences, okay, on, right. his, on his bill, right. okay? And so he asked for a reduction, and then you know, the judge actually, you know, it's in the process now of, of going through that of, of a potential mm-hmm. reduction. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Of life sentences. John went on to say, right now, the question that is gnawing at your psyche, the question that went unasked is, how can I justify killing this man? How will his family be affected? John removed the seven pictures of the man from the manila envelope and laid them out from largest to smallest before me. And then he continued, the white man is either the devil or your friend. What you spent the last week doing was to reverse however minutely a process the Caucasians have used to successfully conquer all Native people the world over. You secretly invaded his life. You studied his movements, his character. You found the best opportunity to achieve the aim you seek, and you will exploit, prosecute, and advantage to such an end. The white man had no squeamishness. It is so. The other thing that I find interesting. So, if we're talking about brainwashing and his intelligence level, to me, that also it almost seems like contradictory. Like he's so clearly in, articulate and intelligent, and yet he also managed to be brainwashed because he was desperately seeking a father figure that has a big role in that. No, I know, but I just find it. I. I just find it as an interesting tidbit. I like, I get the fact that it was brainwashed, but I find it interesting that he's also for someone who was, you know, abandoned by his mother, probably not going to school that he's also this intelligent. Right. No, I, I hear you. I hear you on okay. that, but so, I'm not, I'm not commenting. I think it's just an interesting, almost like a contradiction. The fact that he's also that intelligent and brainwashed. Right. But he, yeah, I know. No, I see what you're saying. I just think, no, it's, I think also- it's, you get more brainwashed if you're intelligent because it's easier to be like every, you know, because if you're really intelligent, you see things other people don't. So you can latch onto an idea. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Well, it's kind of like, it's, it's also kind of like being in, 
like from a personal's perspective, being in like a counseling profession and then you have like some faulty thought and you're like, oh, wait, that's like this. And you like kind of overthink and you think back to your theories classes and try to figure out your own problems. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, you know, it, intelligence, I mean, it doesn't necessarily... I don't even know what I was saying. I'm yeah. all lost. Okay. To answer your question, Jen, on May 26, 2017, a federal district court judge in Virginia overturned Malvo's sentence of life without parole on the grounds that it was it was unconstitutional under Miller versus Alabama because Malvo was 17 year old, year old because Malvo was 17 years old at the time of the killings. Hmm. All right. Um, on June 21st, 2018, the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit unanim- unanimously upheld a lower court's decision that Malvo's sentences of life without parole were unconstitutional. Mm. Okay, so you're seeing this guy may walk, man. I mean, he may do 20 years and walk. He may be out when he's 50. All right. Um, so he did have multiple life sentences, but... As you see now from recently, they're they're getting overturned, it seems like, because he was 17. That right. at least life without parole is unconstitutional. Yeah. I guess my question— Yeah, so he may get—so, all right, that is unconstitutional from what they say. So he may get a uh, parole—not parole date, but a parole board date or something, you right. know, and still 10 hopefully years or 20 stay. years from now. And still hopefully stay in prison. Yeah, exactly. Because he was 17. That That's the thing. And plus he was, he, all right. So he actually does feel really remorseful. I'm reading here. It says uh, he gave the Washington Post this lengthy interview saying mm-hmm. that he was a monster and, you know, he did these things and he killed these people and he hurt these families and he's, he's been, you know, eaten up inside. Cause for last, since he's been in prison, he's been in solitary. Right. Hmm. So he's had a lot of time to think. So he came out and was like, I I was a complete monster. You know, I just want to, you know, tell all the families how remorseful and sorry I am, all stuff. I I, like, I I mean, I guess my question would be. I think he's serious too. I guess my question would be how much of it was him being brainwashed and actually how much of it did he believe versus how much of it was him trying to please uh, John Muhammad? Hmm. Because if the belief, I mean, I feel like if the belief was truly rooted in him, then the intent might have actually been there versus if it was just him trying to impress him. He doesn't believe, he doesn't believe in it now. He knew he was a monster. Mm. You know, he doesn't believe in this. That's interesting. Black supremacy. It definitely gets great. Like, how can you tell? Like, how can you tell he was playing or long that he was brainwashed? I mean, he may be just, I, I don't think. I don't think he believes in any of this stuff, but he believed he, in his maybe father. He did at the time, I don't you know, know, John Muhammad. I mean, it's he was brainwashed. I, I, I definitely believe it. I've seen it before. Or how closely related is brainwashing to trying to please the person who's brainwashing you? Well, I mean, what's that called? The blank Stockholm effect, Stockholm syndrome. syndrome. Yeah, maybe, but. The, the question a, is, all right, he, all right, he, let's say he was brainwashed. I 100% think he oh, was brainwashed. And I, I 100% think he's too. Feel, he feels remorseful right now. I think now. You, you used a better term than brainwashing. What was it? Radicalized? Yeah, radicalized. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, so if he was radicalized or brainwashed, 
right? And he was 17. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Should he be in prison? Yes. That's what I think, too. That's what I think, too. I I 100% believe he should be in prison as a technicality. It's like, dude, you can't walk free because this is just too big. This isn't fucking Canada. Okay. (laughs) All right. Go ahead and read that. I'm sorry. The following morning, I departed around 3.30 a.m. on the bicycle. I rode many miles to the park. Once I arrived, I changed into my fatigues and began to create my lure. I set a dozen or more golf balls so that they would lead to the target 30 or 40 feet away from the golf course. The spot I chose had a small knoll with roughly a 12-foot slope. I concealed myself and waited. The target came down the knoll. He immediately spotted the balls. He followed them zigzagging towards the last ball. Once he reached the final ball, I fired. I aimed for his heart as I was confident enough, wasn't confident enough to take a headshot. So he died right there on the on the golf course. Hmm. Okay, so since we're this episode is getting too long already, I'm showing you a uh, newspaper of the trail of blood they left from Tacoma, Washington. So if you go up all the way over here, Tacoma, they go down to Arizona. They go, uh, they go back up to Tacoma and the whole time they're going and they're shooting people. A lot of people didn't die, but they'd rob gas stations. They'd rob pawn shops, whatever they can. And they would always use violence because John Muhammad was violence, 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 violence. If you read more of his radicalized bullshit that he spouts out, it's all about violence. Right. Right. And you know, what? it's, it's crazy because I mean, you shoot a mother with a six-month-year-old child. Like, you're not—I mean, you're, you're a fucking coward. Mm. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you're, you're a coward. You're not, like, strong or, like, you know, no, one of the top. You're like, a terrible what, person. You're, you're just a coward. You shoot an unarmed mother, you, you are a fucking coward. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, it's just fucking—you shoot a, a six-year-old golfer, that's—it'd yeah. be different if he was— Going into like a gang and shooting up, you know, a gang with guns and they're shooting back. But these are unarmed people. Like, Like, what a fucking coward, man. I mean, what a piece of shit. Even throughout the whole. Both of them, they're fucking pieces of shit. Yeah. It pissed me off. Once they find out that the kids were living in Washington, D.C. Now, Lee Boyd Muhammad knew, or excuse me, Lee Boyd Malvo knew that the kind of mission was to get the kids back. But, you know, he didn't know that it was going to be any of this spree killing thing they were doing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. This so was he all. Says. That's what he says in his book. And the other guy's dead. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm reading from his diary. He then explained, Muhammad then explained that he intended to get back at America by killing 25 people a week for four weeks. That he wanted to use, people. that he wanted to use two snipers. With silencers, which is which was e- easy enough. Even though we didn't have silencers, we proceeded with the plan. So he wanted to kill five people a day. Okay, and, and in fact, you know the the first shot we talked about that the Michaels, yep. the the two before that, he uh, he got uh, you know what do you call it? Malvo. He didn't pull the trigger. He got uh, trigger shot. shot. Shell shock. Not shell shot. Trigger shy. Uh, Trigger shy, yeah. Trigger shy. Well, so he wanted to kill five a day because that was like uh, what calls the shock effect. That's what he used, the quote shock effect. 
Dad, I thought we were simply doing what was needed to earn money, find the children, get settled, return for the children, and resume our normal lives in Canada. What happened to the plan? Oh, yeah, they were going to move to Canada. Of course they were. I tell you that. <laughs> the plan to terrorize Maryland, Virginia, D.C., metropolitan areas for four weeks, killing 100 to 200 people in the process. In phase two, we would use explosive for the next four weeks to up the ante. To end the entire thing, we would kill one police officer in Baltimore, Maryland, and decapitate him in a brutal manner. Everyone was going to attend his funeral, half the police force, the mayor, the members of the city council, possibly even the governor. For maximum effect, we would plant our explosives set with nails and ball bearings at the cemetery. With the use of both primary and secondary devices, we would literally wipe out the police force. Once emergency crews responded to the scene, we would blow up the secondary devices. His eyes gleamed with rage that I had never seen before. Mm. Yeah, so that's what the plan was. He also goes on to say, quote, we're going to fuck with the only thing these people give a fuck about, their money. Um, And he talks Mm. about, you know, all this radical shit. Um, I'm glad they didn't get that far. Yeah, no shit. And then uh, he, um, Lee Boyd Mahoney, Lee Boyd Malvo says, sir, it has always been your benchmark that one always sticks with the plan, never deviating. Why this sudden change? Now, this is like the first time he's questioning his father figure, right? Right. Um, And then he says, uh, son, I have a debt to pay. One stone used to kill three birds. I will terrorize the real terrorists. Secondly, I get my children back. Um, Lastly, we... Lastly, we will affect their bottom line where it hurts all in one swoop and possibly get paid for doing so. Uh-huh. So what I didn't go into is they were doing this extortion thing where not a, their plan was to do like a $10 million and we'll stop shooting people type of shit. Mm. We had already selected the targets before the violence could escalate into the bombings. I fell asleep in the car when I was supposed to be on watch. The arrest was over in time. It was... The arrest was over in the time it takes to blink. John and I were immediately separated. I blamed myself for our capture for at least a year after our arrest. I did a lot of reckless things in the period leading up to my trial. I was a goner. I just didn't care. That was until fate intervened and a social worker who was appointed to assist me. Her help, along with the members of my legal defense team, saw some good in me worth salvaging. I couldn't see it in myself. You see... Mm-hmm. It's either he's trying to make himself seem like, you know, not re- not not responsible, but you know what I'm saying? Oh, mm-hmm. there's some good in he's, me. He's, it's play- like, dude, he's you- playing a victim. Yeah, himself, he's playing a victim. And I don't I don't fucking buy that, honestly. So ask your question again. Sorry. So what was the total uh, count of victims? Um, so it was 10 people in this sniping spree, wow. 10 people were killed and three others were critically wounded in Baltimore, Washington metropolitan area. And, but that doesn't include the four or five that was killed during in route up to, uh, up to, um, the Going spree. Yeah. yeah. Um, here, read this one. I mean, I'm one. so glad that it wasn't that catastrophic, but essentially how, like it, it was, much more intense the first day. Yeah, right? well, they... So, they actually called him because family, you know, of Muhammad had called in. And they thought it was him? Oh, yeah. Because, like, I remember reading in the diary, like, he, diary, he, he went down to visit family with Lee Malvo and was like, this is my... 
you know, this is my apprentice. We're going on a top secret mission and all this stuff. It's like, dude, what the fuck? Oh. And then they were not being like conspicuous. At yeah. All this. I mean, honestly, I really believe, and this is a theory that he did it to get back at his ex-wife and just, I don't believe he believed in all this radical shit. Maybe he did. He he may have, but I'm saying I believed he saw an impressionable kid who needed a father figure. You know, he was 14 years old when he met Muhammad, you know, and then he basically, you know, brainwashed. What do you mean? I exploited. He basically exploited him, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he because Malvo was a trigger man. So I believe in Muhammad's head. In he's Muhammad's thinking he head, won't get in trouble. Yeah, he's like, well, I'm not going to get in trouble. I didn't actually shoot the fucking, you know, rifle. I really believe he thought of that. Yeah, and then, I think so, too. And then in the trial, actually, Malvo testifies against Muhammad. And, like, that was like a whole hmm. drama thing, right. too. Anyway, read that uh, one last thing. I think they're both trying to save themselves, honestly. Mm-hmm. Lee Boyd Malvo was convicted for two murders in Virginia on December 18th, 2003. He pled guilty to an additional murder and one attempted murder charge in Virginia on October 26, 2004. Additionally, Lee pled guilty to six counts of murder in Maryland on October 10th, 2006. I also think he was purposeful in um, in making sure that this occurred while he was still under 18. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a good... Uh... I didn't even think about that. Yeah. You know, uh, someone said something, or someone said, one of uh, the uh, talkers said something today on the Facebook, and she said, um, I was in the area, and this is, I think the comment got deleted or something, because we didn't read earlier, but I was in the area, and I had to go to one of these places that was shot, you know, and I was thinking, well, maybe she had to go to Michael's or something, you know, or, or something one or whatever, but I was thinking in my head, and I know this sounds kind of crazy, but if I was, I mean, I was alive. If I was in that area during that time, you know, and you had to fill your tank up because like life just doesn't stop. Right. Like you still got to go to work. You still got to go to school. Like life goes on, even though people are getting shot off every day. So if you have to fill your gas tank, I would probably want to go to one that's already been shot at. Oh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I know that sounds crazy to think about, but, you know. Actually, I don't know if I actually would, though. What's the, you know, what's the possibility that he's going to go back and shoot at the same gas station? I mean, you're not wrong, but I would only use that logic if they, I mean, if and when they showed that the incident was in a different area. Like, if it they was, weren't coming back. Right. So you drive places. around with no gas in your car. I mean, literally last week I was praying that I was, I mean, I was running on fumes from work to the gas station that was two miles away. It was like the, my indicator said like there was, it wasn't even five miles to empty. It was dash dash to empty. And I was like, please let me get to the gas station. You're like Kramer. <laughs> I I do always t- let it tell me fuel low. <laughs> okay, so this so. is uh some of the this is um some of the f- pictures he's drawn. This is him mm. in his solitary cell. This is a picture of what he thinks his life was like with Muhammad. You see this uh ha- this woman right here has like this hand around him, like you know he was. He was in a submissive position. Does that make sense? I guess so. But also to me, like 
the way that I perceive it is that he's 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 so close to like paradise but he also has his eyes closed while he has his hand that way like it's like he's trying to get it but he doesn't want to fully take it all in maybe he's trying to fill her boob no i know yeah, but i'm looks like it i mean yes but i'm just trying I don't to know. make it in tell the us more what artistic. you think go to talkmore.com to see this picture i it's supposed to be him in like he can't do anything else he's like not in control of his life it says, uh, yeah, Lee's illustration of Muhammad control hand around his body. You know, this is him uh, when he went to prison, and this is him now. You know, like he's changed. Yeah. He definitely wants to get out of prison. And then he's got some poetry well, here. I'm pretty which, sure everyone that's in prison wants to get out of prison. Like, yeah. Doesn't mean it's going to happen or should happen. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you use. If you like this story, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our stalker, go to talkmer.com slash join, become a talkers primo, get a badass t-shirt, sticker swag, a lot of love, shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it, dedicate to you on Talk Murder Me Podcast. My name is John here with Jen and Nicole. And until next time, good night, tacos. Mm-hmm.